My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. Well, as it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. So we're going to take a little bit of a detour away from kings a little later on in the episode. But first off, I'm going to give you a little background on the two kings that are reigning in Israel and Judah. First up, we have Jeroboam II, who is just terrible. He's reigning in Israel, and he's doing a real bad job. So bad that we have what might be the first of the writing prophets, Amos. Amos is a shepherd, and he just goes to town in poetry about how Israel is in big, big trouble with God. It's almost impossible to really summarize these books of prophecy, although some of the prophets do some incredible performance art that we'll get to talk about later on in the podcast. But just keep in mind that the book of Amos takes place during Jeroboam II's reign. The other prophet that's really going to town during Jeroboam II's reign is Jonah. We're going to come back to Jonah. First, going to mention Judah. Judah's doing pretty well. Amaziah is king, but he kind of falls away from following God and doesn't do a great job of it. And so the people put Uzziah, his son, at the age of 16, on the throne of Judah. Uzziah is pretty great. He follows after God and is really, really good at it for a while. Mostly he's instructed by Zechariah the priest, who is, you might remember, the son of Jehudah, who instructed Joash. So Uzziah is doing well, but eventually he gets really, really proud and decides that he's allowed to burn incense on the altar in the temple. This is a big no-no for the kings. Interestingly, God sets up a really clear distinction way back in the books of the law between the priesthood and the kingship, and there is only one person in the entire Bible. Well, two people. One person? Kind of hard to say. In the Old Testament, you have Melchizedek, who is a king and a priest, and in the New Testament, you have Jesus Christ who is a king and a priest. But everybody else, that's an incredibly separate office. Uzziah doesn't respect that, and so he grabs a censer full of incense to put it on the altar, and his hand goes leprous. And the priests look at him, and then they realize his forehead is also covered in leprosy. And Uzziah rushes out of the temple because God has struck him as a punishment for his pride and a punishment for his getting up on a high horse. For the rest of Uzziah's life, he lives in a separate house and his son does most of the public-facing reigning. So Uzziah's reign pretty well overlaps with Jeroboam II's, although not entirely, but those are who's reigning. Now we get to turn our attention to one of the coolest and weirdest stories in the whole Bible. The story of Jonah. So Jonah was prophesying again during the reign of Jeroboam II, and he, in fact, led Jeroboam to setting Israel free. Even though Jeroboam himself was evil, God had made it clear that he wouldn't wipe Israel off the map. So even though Jeroboam II wasn't a great dude, God liberated Israel anyway. Israel was getting pretty pressed by Assyria, and it wasn't going well for them. The big thing about Assyria is that they did warfare mean. They were an incredibly brutal force upon the earth. And the Assyrian Empire is one of the early, really impressive ones. It just, whew, even just talking about it makes my blood boil. Anyway, one of the biggest cities, I believe it was the capital of Assyria, was Nineveh, which was a particularly evil place and also, of course, the heart of Assyrian power. 
And God asks the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh and warn the Ninevites that God is going to judge them. That's right. God sends a prophet of Israel whose normal job would be to warn Israel and to get Israel on track. No, no, God wants Assyria on track, specifically Nineveh. Ah! This is bad for Jonah, apparently. So he goes down to the docks and instead of heading toward Nineveh, gets on a ship toward Tarshish, which is in the wrong direction, just the opposite way from where God had sent him. He goes below deck, falls asleep, and a huge storm hits like nothing these sailors have ever seen. A ship full of sailors starts crying out to every god they can think of, and the captain goes down and wakes up Jonah and is like, Get up! How are you asleep? Don't you have a god? You should pray to him, because maybe he'll show up. And this storm just gets more and more and more violent, and so they cast lots to see what the heck is going on, and the lot falls to Jonah, and he fesses up. He admits the storm was sent by God to kill him, and if he wasn't thrown overboard, God would kill everyone on board because Jonah was disobedient, and he didn't want everyone to die. And so he insists that the men throw him off the ship, physically, off the ship, right there. And they beg him to absolve them of his murder, and he's like, no, no, I brought this on myself. You're, you're good. Just throw me overboard. And they do, and as soon as Jonah's body sinks into the water, the storm calms. The sea's quiet. Jonah doesn't drown in the water, but he does get eaten by a very large fish. That's right, it's Jonah in the belly of the, you might have heard, whale. I don't particularly care to get into that controversy. Jonah is swallowed by a very large fish thing. And he is in the fish's stomach for three days. And during that time, he is begging and praying like nobody ever begged and prayed before. You ever felt like life was closing in around you? Like the whole world was a dark veil of tears and stinky? Jonah's felt that. Finally, the whale vomits him up on dry land. And Jonah has gotten the message and goes to Nineveh. This time without taking a detour in the wrong direction like he did last time. He rolls into Nineveh, which, by the way, is such a big city that it would take a person three days to walk from one side to the other side, and preaches a message that God is angry and God is going to strike Nineveh for its sins. He doesn't hold back. He sends the message. And within a day, Jonah's sermon has made it all the way to the king, and the king calls for a city-wide fast. He tells the entire city that they need to stop what they're doing, put on sackcloth, which is exactly what it sounds like, the coarsest cloth they can find, cover themselves in ashes, they can't eat anything, they shouldn't drink anything, they shouldn't even feed their animals. They all need to pray and beg, because maybe, maybe if they turn from their ways and they repent, God will save the city of Nineveh. Jonah hasn't stuck around for this part. As soon as he delivered his message, he went up onto a hilltop so that he could watch God destroy Nineveh with fire. Like, boom! Think Sodom and Gomorrah. Jonah has set himself up a little tent where he can watch the destruction, but it starts to occur to him, God might not destroy Nineveh, and he gets mad. And God decides to teach him a lesson, because Jonah's furious that Nineveh's not getting destroyed. God sends a shade tree to grow up overnight over Jonah's tent, and now it's cool, and he can watch whatever's going to happen to the city in comfort. But a worm attacks the tree, and by the next day it is dead. 
And so Jonah has been given this tree and it's taken away from him. And he's so angry. He's like, I should just die. You should just kill me, God. Why am I alive? And God's like, do you have any right to be this mad? And Jonah's like, of course I have this right to be this mad. And God's like, you are this angry over a tree I gave you to keep you from getting overheated. You are this mad that a tree died. Why won't you show pity on the Ninevites? There are people in that city. There are 120,000 people there, and they can't even tell their right hand from their left. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know right from wrong, and you preached it, and they listened. Are you going to ignore all the animals that would die if I struck this city? How could you? And that is actually where the book of Jonah ends, on the sentence, And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. We never really get Jonah's answer, but the assumption, pretty much by all biblical scholars that I know of, is that Jonah wrote this book. There's a reason he did it. He's prophesying under the reign of Jeroboam II, and while Amos is calling down fire from heaven, Jonah is reminding people what happens if you listen to that message. Next episode, some more kings, some more prophets, some more disaster. Catch you then.